Amen and amen. That was awesome. Cameron, I'm so thankful for you and Cameron and Zach and, of course, Robbie and J.D. Man, it was just like a, it was like a bro fest, I think is what they called it up here this morning with a bunch of men. Listen, I got a, I got a lot to, to go over, and I'm really excited what the Lord's going to share. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 12. Let's turn there. All the notes are on Facebook at Summit Church. Uh, they're on the website at summitcharleston.com. I'm really excited about what God is sharing, this whole idea of this invest as we're working specifically this summer to invest in you, invest, invest, just as the team from Ethiopia is in flight back, uh, just like they're at the farm right now with a whole group of people and investing. We want to invest in you as we then get into August and go into our God is Able series. Really excited about what the Lord's doing. But let me just say this. There was um, King David who brought unity to the whole empire of Israel. Uh, Benjamin and, and the tribe of Judah that King David was a part of had kind of uh, been split, and then, you know, uh, then all of a sudden Israel comes back together under King David's leadership. Then Solomon has this period of rest because King David's a great warrior, so they build. And then all of a sudden Solomon dies, and his son Rehoboam takes over and, and they has a chance to really unify the country and even more of a strength. And all of a sudden what happens, Rehoboam does something crazy. He, the people come to him and say, listen, we want you to, to lay back a little bit on our taxes, not work us as hard, and we'll be with you. And so he goes to Solomon's advisors. You know Solomon was the wisest man in the world. And, and all of a sudden his advisors say, listen, reduce the tax, Give the people a lighter workload, and they'll be with you for your whole life. And so Rehoboam goes, I don't really like that answer. So he goes over to his friends, and his friends say, don't you let people talk to you like that. You tell them who's in charge. L bring the hammer on them. Lay the smack down. Don't let that happen. So Rehoboam goes up after three days, meets with the people, and says, listen. He goes, if you think my father's tough on you, I'm going to hammer all of you. It's going to be worse for you. Ten tribes of Israel say, forget about it. We're done with you. Goodbye. And so they go. They go up into their northern territory, central to northern territory, and there Rehoboam is left with just the tribe of J Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, and Rehoboam had a chance to do something great, but he was jacked up. And, I'm, and I began to look at chapter 12, and I began to say, wow, here is a guy Here's a guy that grew strong. The Bible says in verse 1, he had become strong. He and all Israel, and with him, abandoned the law of the Lord. When he becomes strong, he abandoned God. And I thought to myself, Lord, please don't ever let that be us. Don't let that be us as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus. When, when things are going well, when things are going right, and for many of us in this room, that, that's where we are. But we cannot abandon we cannot abandon. I know sometimes it seems mundane. So what happened was Rehoboam, then all of a sudden God says, okay, I'm going to let you know. That he sends the king of Egypt over and he starts taking back some of the territory there in Israel. And all of a sudden Rehoboam goes, we need to repent. We need to get right with God. And all of a sudden they be, begin to repent. And God gives, them, God gives them victory. And then something interesting happens. He humbles him, Rehoboam humbles himself from the Lord, and the Lord does something for him. The anger turned away from, from Judah there and from Israel. And then it says at the end of verse 12, indeed there was some good in Judah. Verse 13, 2 Chronicles uh, 
chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. King Rehoboam established himself firmly in Jerusalem and continued as king. He was 41 years old when he, when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Naamah. She was Ammonite. Then verse 14, this is what scares me. He did evil because he had not set his what, saints? Heart on seeking the Lord. I, I, I am just, I want this type of heart. I want this for us because what does it mean to invest? My wife won't let me wear my white shirt anymore. She said, I'm kind of ruining it. It looks ugly. You guys know I don't know how to dress. So, but I, I, I'm, man, I'm, I'm in that. I mean, what does it mean? Does investing means setting your heart on the Lord. I don't want us to turn away from that. So what do, how does this happen? How do you do this? Let me tell you what happened. This week, I was, was the former vice president of Haiti. Did I tell y'all that? Y'all looking at me like I'm strange? I was with the former vice. Did y'all know that, by the way? Yeah, your pastor's got some play. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. It's a joke. Uh, but I was with the former vice president of Haiti. This is awesome. This guy, I love him. And he's a pastor. This guy starts the University of Lumiere. Uh, uh, French people. Lumiere means what? Light. Thank you, we had one. Light. Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah. And listen, what happened was his country is ravaged. I mean, there's only two medical schools, two medical schools in all of Haiti. And they said it can't be done. He starts a private school. They begin to explode in growth. They have a medical school, a strong nursing school. They did this all private. The country said it can't be done. And he did it because of the favor of God. Because this man has set his heart, his heart on Jesus. He has... Uh, a couple months left, and he has to decide whether he's going to run for president. And they're begging him to run for president. That means if he gets it, and he's in, we're going. And you're going with me. I mean, when the earthquake happened, just, just in that one of the buildings, 60 students and professors died. 80%, get this, 80% that we were thinking, how, how, we asked him, how do people live? How do people live there in Haiti when obviously the, the job situation, there? how do they live? He said 80% of the people live off of transactional money. I go, what does that mean? He goes, it means this, the people that, the money that's made in the States is then sent to Haiti for people to live. 80% and I'm looking at this man, he's an older gentleman, and it was just five of us in this room. And I was blessed by the Lord. I shouldn't even be in there with those type of level of people. You, you know that. That's not my, that's just God just giving me an opportunity to be in, the, in a room with those people. But let me say this, uh, you know, just watching this man's faith and watching his heart break for his country. This man said the, uh, the only answer for his country is Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that stokes me. And then all of a sudden, what if God allows him the grace and the favor to become the president? Already been the vice president, now he's the president. I mean, obviously he's in high demand. Obviously he has a lot of pull and a lot of power. But he's seeking, man, he's just seeking the Lord. And he's trying to meet the needs of the people. And he's saying God can do it. And he steps out by faith. I want that type of faith. 
Sunday night, man, y'all missed it last Sunday night. I'm telling you, the Lord showed up for those that were there. Am I telling the truth? Shame the devil, huh? The Lord, I'm telling you, saving faith is this. Saving faith is not just saying, Jesus, you died on the cross, so I get your righteousness. Because everybody else in this world is trying to be right, live right, do what's right. Let's just be right with people. No, Jesus is the only one that's right. And so I, the blood of Jesus covers me. So when I stand in front of God, I stand there with the righteousness of Jesus, and I am free and saved. And then the Holy Spirit lives within me. And so that drives me to be more like Jesus, drives me to want me. That, that when I, I, I look at those past promises and I receive that, that's faith. But saving faith is not just receiving the past promises. It's this. It motivates us so much that we believe the future promises of Jesus. Not only that he's coming back, but the power of God is working within us. And as God works in us to will and act his good pleasure, then the fruit of the Spirit begins to pour out. We begin to look at brokenness. And we say, we got to step in and do something about it, just like Pastor Siobhan. In Haiti. See, most people live on the past promises. But I'm telling you, those people, if they were to say, John, am I saved? Only God knows, but I'm going to tell you this. You better be afraid. Because I don't think you are. Well, how do you say that, John? Because if you're living on the past promises of God, his saving work in Jesus, and it doesn't affect you where you are or where you're going because of the future promises, then there's a problem with your faith. It's not a saving faith. And so I want to get this where I set my heart. I want to set my heart on God so much that the saving faith of God works in me. And then all of a sudden I'm willing to do what this man of God is doing. He inspired me to be around him. And how do I get that type of saving faith? It really boils down to this. Is God greater? Come on. Is he? Three people. Yep. Makes me feel good. Is God greater? Well, if he is greater, then we have a response to the greatness of God. We have a response. What is that? I want to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Let's move over to to Rehoboam's son. This is Solomon's grandson. This is King David's great-grandson. Israel, the nation of Israel has split. You have the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. They have uh, a lot of um, people. A lot of people. You've got the southern kingdom that there has the temple in Jerusalem. There is the king's palace. And here is this king. Verse 1. In the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, Abijah became king of Judah. So Jeroboam not Rehoboam, Jeroboam is the king of Judah. And he knows this. He says, listen, i got to do something. I can't let, I'm going to have to create some type of temple in, up here in the northern kingdom called Samaria. I'm going to have to do something here because if I don't do something, all the people are going to go back and start worshiping Jerusalem, and they're going to start making their own lives. Uh, they're going to start unifying again. I'm going to lose this northern kingdom. So what he does is he makes golden calves. You said, but John, that was an exodus. Well, guess what? It's also in the history of Israel. They make golden calves again. I don't know what it is about calves. Look, I like meat. I love meat. I'm all about it. But I don't know what it is. They're all about this golden. So he makes these golden calves. He kicks all the priests out of the land because he knows those priests of God 
are going to really be serving God and they're going to be focusing on Jerusalem. And he can't lose to the southern kingdom because Jerusalem is the centerpiece of the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Judah. And he's over the kingdom of Israel. So he says, we're going to have to make our own priests. So he sets up his own priests in his own temple all there in the northern kingdom. So let's keep reading. Woo, this gets good. And he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother's name was Maacah, a daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. I don't know why it's in there, but that's important. Here we go. There was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. So the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom are at war. The southern kingdom and the northern kingdom are at war. Now, if God is greater, if God is greater than... I can do whatever he tells me to do until he calls me home. See, because I believe this. When God is with us, we limit his power and his victory. That is, nothing else can pull us away from him. Nothing can pull us away from him because our affections are in Jesus. So how is God greater? How does that work out? Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Abijah went into battle with an army of how many saints? Is that up there? No. Okay. 400,000 able fighting men. And Jeroboam drew up a battle line against him with 800,000 able troops. So you had 400,000. This is amazing to me. In Judah, the tribe of Judah, getting ready to fight the tribe of Israel, the northern kingdom, 800,000. Now, on paper, who should win? The southern kingdom, Judah, with 400,000, or the northern kingdom with 800,000? Which one should win? The northern kingdom or the nation of Israel. But if God is not with, if God is not with the northern kingdom and he's with the southern kingdom, that means the southern kingdom is going to win, which means that God is greater than numbers. Let me say it again. The point I want you to get today is God is greater. God is greater. Jesus is greater. And the first way that he's greater is he's greater than numbers. Now, I'm going to skip down a little bit in this great narrative. I'm going to skip down to verse 13. uh, And we're going to explain it later on. But Abijah's going to sit out in front of the troops. He's got his 400,000 there. He's going to step up to the 800,000, to Jeroboam and all his leaders. And he's going to start saying this basically. Hey, God is with us. You abandoned him. You set up your own priests. You set up the golden calves. You know you've turned away from God. Why don't you just come on back to the Lord? And so while he's speaking, the king of Israel, Jeroboam, who's not right with God. Verse 13. Now Jeroboam had sent troops around to the rear so that while he was in front of Judah, the ambush was behind them. So Jeroboam, as Abijah's talking, the southern kingdom is talking to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom king, Jeroboam, sets troops around behind them to ambush them. So they have a battle in the front and they have a battle in behind. Can I get a witness with anybody in here that sometimes when we're in a battle, it seems like it's all around us. God is greater than numbers. 
Verse 14, Judah turned and saw that they were being attacked at both front and rear. Then they cried out to the Lord. The priests blew their trumpets, and the men of Judah raised the battle cry. At the sound of the battle cry, God routed. God routed. I remember uh, it, this reading this. Let's read it again. God routed Jeroboam and all, the, and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. The Israelites fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hands. Verse 17, Abijah, that's the king of Judah, Rehoboam's son, Solomon's grandson, King David's great-grandson. Abijah and his troops inflicted heavy losses on them so that there were 500,000 casualties among Israel's able men. Listen to this. I want you to know this. It doesn't matter how many people are against you. 62.5% of Israel's army became a casualty. 62.5% became a casualty. God is greater than numbers. So if you're at work and people are against you, you're in your family, you're the only Christian. You're at, in the base, you're your only, you feel like I'm, there's just very few of us. I want to say this, that it's not God plus us is the majority. God is the majority. It is not God is my co-pilot. That's a sinful statement. If you have it on your car, take it off. God is, we are not co-pilots with God. We don't negotiate the route where God calls us. God says it, we do it. We are the servant, he is the master. He is our pilot. And we serve and love him willingly. Doesn't matter how many are against you. Jesus only had 12. Even when family outnumbers us, go with God. Even when work outnumbers you, go with God. Even when, you're, even when uh, your friends outnumber you, go with God. If you feel that inside in your heart and you know the Spirit's telling you don't do it, then don't do it. Well, John, it's going to cause problems. So what? So what if it causes problems? Better than it causes problems with family and friends and coworkers, then you have to live with the conviction of the Spirit. And the consequences thereof. And I'm, John, why are you saying this about family? I want to tell you, I preached a sermon long, long, long time ago, and I remember this. Uh, I, the title of the sermon was this. Those who know you the best hurt you the most. Those who know you the best hurt you the most. Jesus in Luke chapter 4 was with his family, stood up at the synagogue, read in Isaiah the, the prophecy fulfilling his coming that he is going to be the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah. And when he got done reading and he said the, he said the prophecy has been fulfilled this day, they came against him. The very people in his town took him to the edge of the cliff to throw him off and stone him. But Jesus walked through and they just kind of parted. Read it for yourself in Luke chapter 4. That is why we know that we, when God is with us, we have to fight for faith. The answer is fighting for faith. That is the key for Christians. Uh, keep your finger there in 2 Chronicles, if you have your Bible or phone, whatever you're using. Go back, the, go back with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I love, I, listen, I just want to tell you, I could just sit here and preach all day long out of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. There is so much good juicy juice. I mean, if, I don't know what type of soap opera you watch, whether it's the WWE or, or Days of Our Lives. I mean, th this is some good stuff in here. 
So I love this prophet Elisha, not Elijah, not the one taken up with the chariots of fire, but I, I love Elisha. That was his, uh, you know, the guy after him, and I just love, I love him because we don't have a lot of words that Elisha says, but we got some, whoo, we got some power. Homeboy was a bad dude. I mean, people walk, now y'all go ahead and make fun of me. John, look at you. Look at you, you losing your hair. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, look at you. It's going underground and coming out in your ears and all over the place. And Men know what I'm talking about. So go ahead. Well, people, there were some kids that tried to make fun of old Baldy. Elisha didn't have much hair, and there were some kids in the Bible that came down and said, Look at Baldy, look at Baldy. Homeboy got said, Call down curses, and bears came and mauled those kids. Don't you mess with my hair. Just kidding. All right, so Elijah, like I love this guy. So he, he, he's, all of a sudden, he, there's this king, and this king is trying to come against, you know, Israel. He's trying to come against Judah. And, and all of a sudden, every time the king is going to make a decision and try to come in and, and beat down the people of God, this prophet of God, Elijah, goes to the king and says, hey, they're going to attack you this way. Go this way. Oh, the king is going to go this way. Go the other way. And finally, this, this ungodly king calls all his prophets together, the false prophets. He says, what I'm seeing in my bedroom, y'all are sneaking out and telling this man. And one guy steps up and says, hey, we ain't saying nothing, brother. Well, he didn't say it like that, but you know. He said, we ain't, we ain't saying nothing, king. The king goes, well, then how does the king of Israel know every time I'm going to come and attack him, how does he know where to go? Man, that's this bad dude. That's a bad dude called Elijah. And he's over there, and, and Elisha, and he's, he's, telling, he's, telling the, he's telling the king what we're doing. King says, go get him. Go get him. So let's pick it up. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 13. That's why you got to fight for faith. Verse 13. The king, the bad king says, go find out where Elisha is. The king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan, Alabama. Never mind. Verse 14. I've been through Dothan a couple times. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. You know, stealth. They coming to get. It's all this big army against one person. Anybody ever felt out, man? I'm the only one in the room. Okay, five of us. Man, it's coming. You follow Jesus. And listen, if you follow Jesus, you will be out, man. Because it's night, it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by God's Spirit, says the Lord. Mm, do you smell what God is cooking? Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, probably Gehazi, his servant, got up and went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots. We're not talking about just people with swords. We're talking about there was horses, snorting, and chariots. These people had cash. They were coming against this man. This prophet is an old bald-headed prophet. An army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. He couldn't even get out of the city. The whole city was in trouble. Everybody was in trouble because of this man. Everybody's in trouble because you stand up for Jesus at your job. 
Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. I love Elisha. Just come and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's, let me put it in John's term. What is wrong with you? Wipe that scared look off your face. Do you not know that Jesus is with you? No, I don't. Well, suck it up, he is. That's John's version. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Let's stop for a moment. Now, I'm not Elisha's servant. But if Elisha would have said that to me, I'd have said, you crazy. You, you crazy. You're telling me there's more with us, which is one and one makes, okay? And there's this whole city surrounded, not just around a little house here, but the whole city is surrounded by an army that wants to kill you. And oh, probably me because I'm with you. Thanks a lot. And you're telling me, there's more that are with us than against us. You know what? I really don't see what you're saying, Elisha. I think, I think you've been living off of too much stuff and all that prayer you've been spending in time with God has probably gone to your head. You are a flake. You're crazy. I, I'm, I'm a bolt. Well, let's keep, this is, this is when it gets really good. See, this is, gets really good. And Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord. Woo! When you walk by faith and not by sight, you see things other people don't see. Hello? So that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The very chariots of fire that took his hero, Elijah, up to heaven was all around the army that was getting ready to attack them. I'm here to tell you today that sometimes when people have surrounded you to attack you, God is around them. Are we awake today? Because, I mean, I got like one little, mm, like, mm. I mean, somebody should at least said, well, oh my, I got nothing. Verse 18, as the enemy came down toward Elisha, toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. That is why we fight for faith. Because when we walk by faith and not by sight, we see things that people don't see because we're following the very Spirit of God who illuminates our way. We're following the very Word of God that illuminates our way. Thy Word is a lamp unto my and a light into my. We see things people don't see. That's the power of God. God is greater. He is greater. I repeat, He is greater than numbers. God does not need numbers. Well, that, the question, John, is this. Here's the question. I, I love when people ask this. Uh, how is God with us when this is an Old Testament narrative? How are you trying to superimpose this onto us right now? How are you trying to say that this whole Elisha text, this whole text uh, uh, about uh, uh, Jeroboam getting beat down, 800,000 uh, in the fight and 500,000 of them get in, are casualties, 62.5% of that whole 800,000 army, it goes down because of God. How does that apply to my life? Well, let me just say this. Here's what the answer is. The answer is remember the prophecy. Remember the prophecy. Isaiah 7, 14 says this. 
Therefore, this is the prophecy about Jesus. We use this a lot at Christmas time. You see it a lot, probably on cards all the time. But let me remind you that we don't have to wait for Christmas for Jesus to show up. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him, what saints? Emmanuel. Matthew 1, 23, Joseph is struggling. He's about ready to put Mary out because Mary is pregnant. Here she is, this 13 to 15-year-old teenager, pregnant, and he's a righteous man, and he's like, something is wrong. People are going to look at me. By law, I could go ahead and kill her, but I'm not. I'm just going to secretly put her away to protect her. And this is what the angel says to him. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with what, saints? See, the prophecy is for us. This is just a reminder of us. Luke 1, 37, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. One of my favorite, maybe you'll want to memorize this. I love this. For no word from God, from no word from God will what, saints? Fail. Not one. So if Emmanuel means God with us, and the Holy Spirit says that God is with, uh, uh, God's word says that God is in us, within us through the Holy Spirit, then guess what? Not one word from God will fail. Not one that God is with us. And if God is with us, he is greater than numbers. And this is just an example narrative in Scripture that reminds us that God is greater than anything that we're going to face. Number two, God is greater than injustice. Go back with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 13, let's start with verse 4. 2 Chronicles 13 verse 4. Abijah stood at Mount Zimmerim in the hill country of Ephraim and said, Jeroboam and all Israel, the king of Judah, is telling the king of Israel, listen to me. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? Remember, God is greater than injustice. Yet Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an official of Solomon, son of David, rebelled against his master. Then he begins to explain what happened, what happened to his, his daddy. When his dad made a bad decision, remember, he had a chance to unify the, the country, but he, he said, you know what? Uh, no, I'm going to listen to these other guys, these people my age, and I'm going to tell them, man, your taxes are going to be more. I'm going to work you harder than, than Solomon. I mean, it's going to be ugly. Verse 7, some worthless scoundrels gathered around him and opposed Rehoboam, son of Solomon, when he was young and indecisive and not strong enough to resist him. Verse 8, and now you plan to resist the kingdom of the Lord. He's saying, he's saying basically, my, my dad's decision was based on bad judgment because some scandal, scoundrels gave him bad advice. Now listen, that was jacked up so you, your whole country is built on a false motive. And now you plan to resist the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hands of David's descendants. You are indeed a vast army, 800,000, and have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam made to be your gods, those false gods, so they wouldn't go down to Jerusalem and worship. But didn't, look at this, here's the injustice. But didn't you drive out the priests of the Lord? 
the sons of Aaron's and the Levites, and make priests of your own as the peoples of other lands do. Whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may become a priest of what are not gods. Injustice. He said you took the priests that were in your territory and you kicked them out because you're afraid they were going to lead people right back down to Jerusalem and under my kingship. You were afraid. So what you did was injustice. Has people ever done anything behind your back to hurt you? You ever... You ever gone through some injustice where you felt like you did the right thing and people were doing the wrong thing around you? All because you stood for the Lord? All because of the conviction of God? I want to tell you something. God is greater. God is greater in Jesus than, injust than injustice. Jesus received all the injustice so we don't have to with John. If that's the case, then why do I receive injustice on this earth? Let me tell you this. No servant is greater than his master. If the master got injustice, so will we. But one day when the real king comes, we will get justice and they won't. God is greater than injustice. We are the royal priesthood. And yet people are trying to run you out of their job. Why? Because they don't want God in the workplace. You know why people don't want you in your classroom? People don't want around you with your friends. They don't want to hang out with you because you bring God stuff in. When you bring God into the relationship, they don't want you to be in a relationship. They don't want you to be in a relationship. They don't want you to do it God's way because they feel convicted. So they can get you out of sight, out of mind. The problem with out of sight, out of mind is God's void is still there in their lives. See, God is greater than injustice. Reminds me of Luke chapter 18, 1 through 8. Uh, keep your finger there. Go to the gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke 18, 1 through 8. Robbie, you can come on up here. You and the band, if y'all want, because we get ready to get, ooh, we get ready to get into it. We're getting ready to get into it. Luke 18, 1 through 8, one of my favorite passages. Verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary. Remember, God is greater than injustice. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out, don't miss this passage, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? God is greater than your injustice that's around you, and let me tell you why. The only reason he delays is because it's a test of faith. Will he find faith? God is greater than injustice. Keep crying out to the Lord. I'm sorry for the way you were treated. I'm sorry for the people that hurt you. Not. I'm sorry the people you're ministering to get, just get ripped off. I'm sorry for the bad things that have happened. But I want to tell you something. If you'll hold on to Jesus, if you hold on to Jesus, all those years that the devil stole, God will bring back in glory. God is greater than injustice. God is greater than lies.
Second Chronicles 13. He's greater than lies. Verses 8 and 9. And now you plan to resist, verse 8, the kingdom of the Lord which is in the hands of David's descendants. You are indeed a vast army, and you have golden calves that Jeroboam made to be your gods. It's a lie. Your gods are a lie. God is greater than the lies around us. God is greater than the lies that we tell ourselves, that I can't do this, I can't do that. God, I'm not holy enough. I'm not worthy enough. I don't know your word enough. I'm not as far along as that person. Those are lies. I never saw... I never saw Jesus look to somebody and say, you know what, you've got to be a rabbi, now come follow me. No, he took people like me, pinto beans and cornbread, plain. Listen, saints, we've got to set our hearts on Jesus. We've got to be fully persuaded it's Jesus. We've got to line up with Jesus. I know our hearts are divided because circumstances divide our hearts. You know where I was Friday? I left here Friday at noon. My mom called. She said, John, I'm getting married. I said, what? She said, I'm getting married. I said, what? I'm getting married. I said, mom, you get ready to turn 85 in July. Now, don't, when she comes, don't you tell her I told her age. She will backslap me. Man, okay, mom. You know, my dad died of cancer nine years ago. All right. This man, they've known since first grade. He's getting ready to turn 85. 85! 85! 85 getting married at 85 mom and so you know my my siblings and I she wanted to have it at her house she put maybe put on my robe and all my regalia and big Stuff with white crosses, all kinds of stuff. It's highfalutin. So she has me go in there, and, 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 and you know, I said, his wife died of MS. And so we're all gathered around. My, my children are there, and everybody's there. 80, 85. Going to be 85. I mean, I've officiated uh, probably, Lord, you only know, I quit counting, but 125, 130 weddings. Man, I'm real strict. I didn't even do my own, I didn't officiate my own brother's wedding. Hello? But God says she can marry. God says that biblically she can marry. My dad has gone to be with Jesus. His wife has gone to be with Jesus. They can marry. But you see, my heart was divided. Why? Let me, let me just tell you why. There's another man kissing my mama. I got a problem with that. I mean, am I betraying my dad by officiating that wedding? Am I? My dad was a godly man. Loved Jesus. Set my mama up tight. She don't want for nothing. You know what I'm saying? New house, new car, cash in the bank. Life is good. Insurance. Woohoo! Now, am I betraying my dad because that man is kissing my mom? I don't want nobody kissing my mama. Are y'all tracking me? Hello? Anybody? My heart was divided. But God's word says 
that she can get married. And so I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, but I came to the conclusion with this, that if God says that they can, who am I to say they can't? Huh? See, my emotions say they can't. But I don't live, have to live by emotions. I have to live by this. Y'all with me? And if God says so, then it's okay. Because you want to know why? In heaven, there'll be neither marriage nor given them. Come on, somebody. But we're going to be like angels. See, I, I don't know if our hearts are fully there yet. We're set. God is greater than lies. Proverbs 6, 8 says this, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Verse 28 there, Proverbs 6, uh, 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Lies will destroy. But God is the God of reconciliation and given us this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled to himself, or excuse me, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God is greater than numbers. He's greater than justice. He's greater than lies. And God is greater than a trap. Second, I close with this, 2 Corinthians 13. Go down to verse 13. Now Jeroboam had sent troops around to the rear so that while he was in front of Judah, the ambush was behind them. Judah turned and saw that they were being attacked at both the front and the rear. God is greater than an ambush. God is greater than any trap anybody sets for you. And I close with this. So what did the people of God do? What did the people of God do when you felt trapped? I mean, was I trapped because my mom asked me to, to officiate her wedding on Friday night, so I drive up to North Carolina and officiate? Was I trapped? Was I, was I trapped because if I don't do it, it's... I, there'll be a problem between my mother and I. But if I do it, is there a problem between my father and I? Am I not being loyal? I mean, all this is circ- I mean, my heart's divided. Sometimes people trap you. Your friends trap you. Family tries to trap you. Your job. People try to. God is greater than that. He is greater. So what did the people do? Verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord. The priests blew their trumpets, and the men of Judah raised their battle cry. And then watch what happens. At the sound of their battle cry, that is an alarm in Hebrew, God routed Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. When we cry to the Lord, God does something. He moves. It's a battle cry. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. And then there's the armor with the belt of truth 
buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying also for the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Who needs to cry out to the Lord? Who needs to cry? Who needs to cry? I'm not talking about with tears. I'm talking about, God, I'm going to stand my ground and you got to show up. Who in here, that's why I love this church. Who in here, come on, Michelle. Who in here, who in here is going to stand their ground and say, I am going to stand with the Lord. He is greater than injustice. He is greater than a trap. He is greater than lies. He is greater than numbers. He is greater than sickness. He is greater than disease. He is greater than hopelessness. He is greater than faithlessness. He is greater than unkindness. He is greater when there's no love. God is greater because of the promise of Jesus that we have. And as long as Jesus is before the Father, we're going to be okay. Who needs to cry? Who do you need to cry for? It's not always for you, is it? It's not always for you. Father, I pray today we would flood this place with the power of the gospel. I pray that we would flood this place with the cries in our hearts. I pray that, God, that you would speak to us, that people would come forward right now as I'm praying. It's not unholy. It's not irreverent. And we would cry out to you, Lord. We pour our heart out. God, we need you to stand. We will stand with your armor. Our struggle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, but it is against. It is against the rulers of the enemy, and you have crushed Satan underneath our feet. So, God, have your will and way. We cry out to you. We cry out for the safety of the Ethiopian team coming back. We cry out to you for all the people in the farm and discipleship. We cry out to you for all the people serving in Peru and that are going to Peru and going back to Peru. We cry out to you for all the people in this room, Lord, that might have gone through something terrible because they've experienced injustice. They've experienced pain. They've been in a trap. Their own family members have treated them like enemies. But God, you are greater. You are greater. You are greater. We hold on to you, the author and finisher of our faith. God, you are greater, and it doesn't matter what age. So, Lord, somebody might be sitting there saying, well, I'm lonely, and I'm this age. Well, if my mom can get married, Lord, they can too. God is greater. And, Lord, you're asking us to fight for faith, and we wage, we wage the war in prayer. It starts there. God, speak to us. God, speak. We wage war for the people that are not in this room, that need Jesus, our family members, our coworkers, our friends, our children, our grandchildren, that need Jesus. God, I cry out to you for my own son's salvation, Jacob. I cry out to you that if you don't step in, save him, he'll never be with you. God, we cry to you. You're our leader. Save us. Save us. 
And Lord, if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, all I can say is that only you can save them and they can't save themselves. May they turn to you.